So our scripture reading this morning is going to be from John 15. Um, So if you'd like to turn to page 902 in your pew Bible, you can turn there. The scripture reading is going to be from John 15, verses 18 to 16, chapter 4, and Mel Benson's going to read for us. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. These are the words of Jesus, our Lord. Thank you, Mel. So for those of you that have been with us over the past several weeks, you'll remember that we've been in the Psalms, but before that, we were going through the Gospel of John. So we are finally picking back up where we left off in John. When I was assigned to preach this scripture, it kind of made me think about when you're watching a TV show and it takes a break for the off season and then you start back up the next season. So we probably need to catch up a little bit on where we've been in John. So before we get dialed in on this text, I'm gonna, we're gonna catch up a little bit to remember where we've been. So in John, we're at the Last Supper. So you'll remember Jesus has been working many signs. He's been preaching the gospel to all different groups of people, and he gets to the week before his crucifixion. They find themselves at the last Passover meal, the Last Supper, and think about this. If you were having your last meal with someone, you'd probably be leaving them with some of the most important exhortations you might have for them, as well as some of the most important encouragements. And that's where Jesus is right now. He's eating his last meal with the disciples that have followed him for the last few years. He started off by washing their feet. You'll remember that. Jesus, the teacher, the rabbi, the one who shouldn't have been washing washing feet, he's washing the dirty, grimy feet of his disciples showing them that he is calling them to model this to each other and to the world, that they might humble themselves and serve the world. He then reminds them that he will send a helper, 
the Holy Spirit, who will guide them into all truth. They will receive him, and he will live in them. God's Holy Spirit living in them. Now, as a disciple, you probably don't have a great understanding of what all this means, but you, you recognize that Jesus, he's saying he's going away, and he's sending a helper. And we're going to touch on that throughout our text today. After that, Jesus encourages his disciples to abide in the love of the Father. And he gives them a picture. He says, I am like a, a vine, and you're like branches. Jesus pictures himself as the, the trunk of a tree, and we are the branches growing off of him, and we cannot live unless we abide in him. He encourages us to abide in him, to abide in his love, and to obey the Father's commandments. And then right before our section today, Jesus encourages the, the disciples to love one another. So you start by abiding and loving God, and that love continues to spread to one another. Love your brothers and sisters, and through your love, the world will know who you are and who I am. But when we get to our text today, we recognize Jesus has given many encouraging things, many, many things for the disciples to live after, and it probably is kind of a good mood there uh, with what he's been teaching. But the, the mood of the room is about to get a little bit darker. Jesus says, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, think of yourself as a disciple in this case. Those aren't the, those aren't the words that you were hoping to hear, right? These are difficult words. They're expected. So this morning, we want to dive into that concept. What is Jesus talking about when he tells his disciples that the world will hate them. But before we get there, we have to answer a question. That is, what's the world, right? We all have maybe different ideas of what the world is, and John has a specific idea that he's getting at here. So we have to ask the question, what is the world, or who is the world? The world in John can mean a few different things, but especially in this part, we see the world as humanity, right? So you, you might think of that, the whole world being all of humanity. But specifically here, we begin to see John hinting at a, a humanity that is re in rebellion against God. It's the system of humanity that opposes God. The world doesn't know God. Look at verse 21. It says, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. See, we here as God's community of believers... We know God. We are in relationship with God. The world does not know God. The world may know certain things about God. The world may understand that there, there maybe is a supernatural being that is controlling all things, but the world does not know God through Christ. The world's ruler is the evil one, the enemy. So if we think of two groups of people opposing one another, God has his people the church. They are the ones that have faith in Christ, who are following him. The world is against that group of people, and their, their, their ruler is the enemy. Now, people in the world might not say, well, yes, my ruler is the enemy, but by not obeying Christ, by not being faithful to God, they're saying that their ruler is not God, that they have a different ruler. So the world opposes God's people. They are in rebellion against God, and they are in rebellion against, and they oppose his people. So we ask the question, why does the world hate followers of Jesus? 
Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. But why? Why would the world hate a group of people that are on mission to love God and love others? Well, Jesus gives a few reasons for the world's hatred. Think of it like this. Um, One reason he gives is, they hated me, therefore they will hate you. Think about um, a leader who is leading a big group of people in a certain direction. When one group opposes that leader, even if the leader is removed, the next step is to wipe out all their followers. We've seen this time and time again through history. So Jesus is saying, simply because you're one of my followers, I've been bearing the brunt of the the hatred. We see this in John. We see opposition to Jesus and his ministry. There are those that are rebelling him. There's those plotting to kill him. That's what Jesus is experiencing. But Jesus is saying that he's about to leave. He's about to go away, and when he leaves, that hatred will be transferred from him to his followers. His followers will feel and experience that hatred. He says in verse 20, they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That hatred has been transferred to his disciples. And we recognize this pretty immediately in the New Testament, right? Some of these men that are here, we think of Peter, we think of James, the disciples, are are martyred for their faith relatively quickly after Jesus has left, right? They they experience the hatred of the world immediately. So it's true for them. But Jesus is also saying that this is true for us. We are followers of Jesus Christ. Later in John, when Jesus is praying for his disciples, he prays not just for the 12 there, but he says he's praying for all those that will believe in him at some point. So Jesus is talking not just to his disciples, but he expects us to also feel hatred from the world. But there's another reason that the world hates us, not just because of our leader, Jesus, but also because of who we are. We are fundamentally different communities. We have the world, and Jesus says those that are not of the world. Look at verse 19. He says, if you were of the world, The world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says the world hates his followers because they are not of the world. Now, we are not of the world, meaning we are fundamentally different from the world, and the world recognizes that. A few weeks ago, I had a dream. I don't think it was any kind of prophetic vision for the sermon, but it's a helpful dream for uh, illustrating this point. Um, So I, um, to give a caveat, am not a uh, zombie fan by any means. I don't watch any of those shows, any of those movies. It's not my thing, Um, but some, some people do. But for some reason, I had a dream, and in this dream, I was surrounded by these dead beings, these zombies. Um, And as I was going about my business, I was kind of walking in step with what they were doing because I recognized that as long as I walked in step with them, they would leave me alone. But as soon as I started doing things that were different from them, their faces started to turn to me and they started creeping in. So I went back to walking in step with them and they left me alone. That was the dream I had. And it's a good, I think it's a good illustration because it shows that the world when they recognize that we are walking out of step with the way that they live, immediately they begin to turn and look. 
and sometimes we, we experience those attacks from the world. They recognize that we are different, that we are walking out of step from the world. See, the world is living for just an immediate pursuit of gratification, an immediate pursuit of happiness that is outside the bounds of what God has prescribed for his people. And when they see that we are going against that current, they begin to notice that. And they begin to step in and attack. Perhaps you've experienced that before when you see, when you show your life is different from other people. Perhaps you've experienced, maybe not, you might not describe it as hatred, but maybe it's just opposition. Maybe it's just you don't get invited to all the same things that your neighbors do. Subtle ways of opposition that we will experience as we walk in step with Christ. So Jesus says that the world hates followers of Jesus because they are not. But what are the defining characteristics of people who are not of the world? Yes, we don't walk in step with the world, but what does it mean to be not of the world? Well, look at verse 19 again. Jesus says this, Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. We recognize that to be not of the world means to be chosen by Christ. A good illustration of this is Jesus in the Gospels when he's choosing his disciples, right? So he's speaking to the twelve that he went to to, to say, follow me. Jesus went up to men who didn't know him and called them to follow him. Jesus chose these men to follow him, to be his disciples. Well, brothers and sisters, although we might, might not have experienced the same kind of physical calling from Jesus, Jesus has chosen us out of the world. He has chosen us to be his followers. He's done that through grace, right? We don't deserve to be called out of the world. We are sinful, rebellious people. All of us here at one point or another were a part of that world, whether you were young or old, and God showed us our sin, gave us grace to repent, and now we are followers of Christ only by his grace. See, when we think about being not of the world, it's not because we've done something great to make ourselves not of the world. It's because God alone has called us out of the world by his grace, and Christ has done that. So to be not of the world means to be chosen by Christ. But it also means that we have love for the Father. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 says, Whoever hates me hates my Father also. So when Jesus is describing the world, he's talking about people that hate him, therefore they hate the Father. But as followers of Christ, as those who have been chosen by him, we love him and we love the Father. That's what is not the world, our love for the Father. But what does that love actually look like? We experience that love um, in some ways that are maybe a little bit different, and in one way that's exactly the same for all of us. So perhaps when you're singing, there's a certain um, affection, something stirred in you that you know is love for God himself. Perhaps it's when you're reading his word, you recognize that there is something God is stirring in me that makes me love him more. But there's also a very concrete way of knowing if we love the Father. And Jesus talks about this a little bit earlier in the chapter. Look at verse 10. He says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. One of, one of the signs of love for the Father is obedience to His commandments. God has called us to live in a certain way, live separated from the world, to love Him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we see all throughout scriptures, God has laid out, here is the best way for you to live. He's commanded us to live in a, in a specific way. And as we obey Him, we are showing our love for him. Now, if you're here today, I want you to um, seriously consider what Jesus is saying here. If you're someone who perhaps has that really good feeling when you're singing, but you have no interest in obeying the Father, I would warn you to consider whether your faith is genuine in Christ. Genuine faith in Christ results in obedience to God. Now, of course, we recognize, we sang today, we are sinful people that still struggle with sin, and we are called to repent time and time and time again. And God gives us grace to come back. But if you have no interest in obedience to the Father, I would warn you that your faith might not be real. Consider that, because those who are not of the world love the Father and obey the Father. But there's one other defining mark for those that are not of the world. And that is being empowered by the Spirit. Look at verses 26 and 27. Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. One of the defining characteristics is this um, empowerment by the Spirit. Now what Jesus is saying here is that the Spirit is bearing witness to him. So Jesus goes away, sends his Holy Spirit, who now is showing the world, bearing witness to the world about the character of Christ. It's only by the Holy Spirit's power that anyone recognizes who Christ is. Anyone repents of their sin and comes to know Christ. So the Spirit is bearing witness, but immediately after that, he says, and you also will bear witness. Now, bearing, the Spirit bears witness, we bear witness, but we don't bear witness apart from the Spirit. So bearing witness or proclaiming Christ, proclaiming that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that is done through us by the power of the Spirit. So as followers of Jesus, as those who are not of the world, we have communion with the Spirit. The Spirit dwells in us. Um, that's what John spoke about in John 14, where the Helper will come and the disciples will receive the Spirit. And one way to kind of think about this, like what does it mean that God is dwelling with us? Um, think back throughout the scriptures of the different ways that it looked. Uh, so think about uh, in the wilderness, when God's people were traveling around. God's Spirit, or God, He dwells in the tabernacle, right? Then Solomon builds the temple and we see God's presence dwelling in the temple. God's there living among his people. We see here in the Gospels, Jesus, God dwelling among his people. But when Jesus goes away, he sends the Spirit so that God can still dwell among his people and in his people. We are, when Paul says that we are temples, um, our body is a temple, it's a temple for God's presence, for him to dwell in us. 
We have communion with God because He lives in us. Think about that. We are human beings who do relatively normal, mundane human things. Yet God dwells in us through His Spirit. We are not of the world. And that is a very, very specific way we see our difference from the world is God is dwelling in us. He doesn't only dwell in us. We see now a partnership of testimony to Christ. The Spirit, as He bears witness to the world, He's doing that through us. As we proclaim who Christ is, as we go into our community to our neighbors and share the gospel with them, it's through God's Spirit doing that through us. He's the the witness from another world, and He's working through us as witnesses of another world. So what does it mean to be not of the world? It means to be chosen by Christ. It means to have love for the Father, and it means to be empowered by the Spirit. So, the world hates us as followers of Jesus. We understand what it means to be not of the world. But why does Jesus tell us this? Why is this important? Why does he put it here? Look at verse, um, look at uh, chapter 16, verse 1. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus says, I'm telling this to you to protect you to keep you from going astray, from stumbling. Now, what does it mean to fall away? Um, I think Jesus illustrates this really well um, in, in another part of the gospel. So if you have your Bible there, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And I think this will be a helpful illustration for us. Matthew 13, um, and it's on page number 818. So to give some background, Jesus is giving an illustration. Um, It's a parable of the sower. You might be familiar with it. So there's seed that's being kind of spread on the ground, um, sown on the ground, and it falls in different places. Some of it falls on rocky ground. Some of it falls and the birds scoop it up. Some of it um, falls, takes root, and grows. Um, But Jesus says something very interesting about the the seed that falls on the rocky ground. Look with me at verses 20 and 21. He says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Jesus is describing someone who hears the gospel, and has some, some kind of reaction or response to the gospel. And it almost seems as if they become a believer, but the moment they experience tribulation, persecution, maybe some kind of opposition from the world, it's gone. That, that seeming growth is completely dead. And it's saying that seed falls away. What Jesus is saying is that there will be times when persecution comes. There will be opposite world. And for some people, when they face that, rather than digging in deeper and holding on to God even, even more tightly, say, I'm not about this. I don't want to have anything to do with, with what God has taught, with the Bible, with the gospel, because I'm experiencing opposition from the world, and I'd rather not have it. I'd rather walk in step with the world rather than out of step. I'd rather go with the current than against the current. 
Jesus is saying this to protect us from being in that mindset that as soon as we experience opposition, that we give up our faith. Jesus says um, that persecution from the world reveals the sincerity of our faith. Think about it like this. Um, how many of you are tea drinkers? All right, we've got a few in there. Um, so you know when, you're, when you have tea, um, if you put the tea bag just in room temperature water, nothing really happens, right? Once you apply heat to that tea bag, immediately all the flavor, everything that was inside begins to spread out in that water to flavor the whole water. Jesus is saying when, when the heat gets turned up, when the trials come, when the persecution comes, we recognize what's really, truly in us. And for those that don't have a true faith in Christ, they fall away. But for those of us that have truly believed, who have set our faith in Christ, who are rooted by the Spirit in His Word, our roots grow even deeper in the midst of persecution. Jesus is preparing us for the time when hatred will come. And that's, that's the main driving point of what Jesus is getting at. The big kind of picture, the take-home point from this text is to prepare for the hatred of the world as you proclaim Christ with the help of God's Spirit. Prepare for the hatred of the world as you proclaim Christ with the help of God's Spirit. But how do we prepare? How do we get ready for this hatred? Well, first, we have to recognize that hatred looks different in different times and in different places, right? So think of the disciples. Uh, I think all but one of them, all but John, were murdered for their faith. Now, those of us in here have not experienced that kind of opposition firsthand. So we know right then there that the opposition we face might look different in different times and in different places. But as we proclaim Christ, we can still expect some kind of opposition. Now, that can look, um, I almost think of it on a macro level and on a micro level. So if the world is this, this uh, humanity in rebellion, this system that is going against God, we recognize that our culture all around us is going against God, right? So we're already swimming against the current of our culture. But we might feel it on an individual basis. Now, you might not have coworkers that would say they hate you. Your neighbors might not hate you. But as we proclaim the gospel, we expect that we're probably going to get some pushback. We're probably going to get some weird looks from people. We're probably going to get people that group us in with a group of people that's bigoted, that's hatred, that, that's hateful, that's intolerant towards the world. That's opposition, and that's the kind of opposition we can expect as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while it may not look like being murdered for our faith, although we shouldn't expect that that will never come, it may not look like that. We can still expect to have that pressure from the world to push against us, discouraging us from holding fast to the faith that Christ has given to us. So we prepare by recognizing that it might look different, but we also prepare by remembering that this is both a daunting task and a glorious privilege. So this is a daunting task, right? Because nobody wants to be hated. Nobody's signing up for the hate train. This is nothing at all that we want to be a part of. But here's what I would caution you with. We love 
comfort, right? We love protection. Treasuring protection um, from, from the world's hatred over faithfulness to Christ is a warning to our souls that we must consider. So if we would rather be comfortable, if we would rather not experience opposition for the sake of Christ's name, if we would rather swim with the current of the world, we have to question, is our faith genuine in Christ? Now, we all feel this tug, right? We all don't like to feel hated by people. And that's okay to not feel hated. That's a pretty normal human thing. But if we treasure protection from that over faithfulness to Christ, we should consider how genuine, how sincere our devotion and faithfulness to Christ really is. I, I experience this still on a pretty normal basis about small things. Um, I think about sometimes, uh, I moved to the Philadelphia area about four years ago for pretty much the express purpose of helping with a church plant. And so people often ask me, like, how did you end up in Philadelphia? And especially at work, I can still feel sometimes that worry about the face they might give me when I said I came here to, to help start a church. That's very benign and not even very specific, but we all feel that tug deep down inside, right? So it's daunting. But I want to encourage us with, it's a glorious privilege because we have God's Spirit with us. Our Heavenly Father chooses to communicate the good news of His perfect Son by the power of His Holy Spirit through imperfect sinners like you and me. God is holy. He is creator. He is high and above all things. He is perfect. Yet He's chosen us, imperfect, sinful people like you and like me, to carry out the communication of His gospel. He uses us to spread His glory in our community and throughout the world. And that's a privilege, right? We partner with God's Holy Spirit in furthering the mission of the kingdom. That is the glorious privilege we've been tasked with. And I want to leave us with hopefully some things that will be encouraging to us. So we're going to flip around to a few different passages to see what God is promising us as we set out on this daunting but glorious privilege. So turn back just a few pages. Look at John 14. John 14, verses 16 and 17. Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Brothers and sisters, God dwells with us. As we go out proclaiming the gospel, as we go out experiencing opposition from the world, we don't go by ourselves. We go with God himself. Look with me at Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10, verses 17 to 22, and this is on page number 815 in your Bible, in the Pew Bible. Matthew 10, verse 17 says, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. 
For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Notice that Jesus says in those times we experience opposition, when we speak, take heart. It's not you who speaks. It's God's Spirit showing you what to say. We can have a deeply rooted trust that in opposition, while it might be painful, that God is speaking through us. Look at one last passage with me in Acts. Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, verses 41 42. This is after some of the apostles were preaching the gospel and experienced opposition where they were told not to preach the gospel anymore. This is their response. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to, to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They recognized that the dishonor they were experiencing, the opposition they were experiencing, they counted that as honor because they were counted worthy for suffering. They experienced opposition and they rejoiced because they are found in Christ. And they continued to preach the gospel every single day. The same spirit that lived in the apostles those weird people who rejoiced when they experienced hatred from the world, the same spirit who lived, dwelled in, and empowered them to do the work of ministry, the spirit lives in us. We now go with God's Holy Spirit, empowered to proclaim the gospel. And although we might experience opposition, we take heart that God is with us and that he will be with us until the end. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your spirit. We thank you that although we experience opposition from the world, hatred from the world, that you are with us and that you will always go with us. Lord, I pray that you would take these truths, root them deep into our souls so that we might be faithful to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.